VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hello and welcome to the Game Podcast from the Times. I'm Gabriel Marcotti, and I thank you for joining us. This is the very first Game Podcast of the new year. Now with me in the studio today, and fitting on a on another triumphant day for Arsenal, it's one Stuart Robson. Good morning to you again. Good morning. And down the line, and he's not in his conservatory, he's in his dining room, I'm told, it's Ollie Kay. Later on, we're going to be talking about the beef between Jose Mourinho and Antonio Conte, because we're the media, we obsess over that. Also, we'll be talking about the latest victim in the managerial sack race, which would be Mark Hughes. We're also going to be chatting about what I think is the extraordinary transfer of Philippe Coutinho to Barcelona, and even more extraordinary transfer of Virgil van Dijk to Liverpool, although, let's face it, we both kind of knew that they were coming. And what better place to start then? Uh, Friday night, third round, traditional Friday night FA Cup fixture, the Merseyside Derby. Ali, the last time uh, these two teams met in the league, Jurgen Klopp got a little bit upset afterwards. I think very upset. I, I'd almost say rightly so. Um, but Liverpool dominated Everton uh, and uh, ultimately were held 1-1. This time, without uh, Mohamed Salah, without Philippe Coutinho, who of course is injured, it was a much closer fought affair, wasn't it? Yeah, it certainly was. Everton showed a lot more um, enterprise and ambition and, and quality, really, um, on Friday than they did a month ago. But um, this time, the questionable penalty appeal went against them rather than for them. And um, I didn't think they were the better team on the night. I thought Liverpool were marginally better, but it was um, the, the golfing quality that was uh, visible during that one-all draw was not apparent during Liverpool's two-on win, if that makes sense. When you say questionable, is it because you're questioning it or because others have questioned it? Because I thought it was no, a nailed-on penalty. Well, well I, I, I thought it was. A, I thought it was a. Um, I'm not even going to say soft. I, you know, I, I didn't think it was a foul. I, you know, people say, "Oh, there was contact. Oh, there was a pull." But the reason the penalty was given was because Lallana threw himself to the ground in the same way that the penalty was given uh, for Chelsea uh, at the Emirates a few nights earlier was because Hazard threw himself to the ground. And the reason that Everton got that penalty a month ago at Anfield was because Calvert Lewin threw himself to the ground. We are constantly seeing these theatrical reactions getting um, getting penalties and, and you know <laughs> it was interesting that Sam Allardyce having come out with that line about oh you can't you can't put your hands on a, uh, an opponent in the penalty area um, <laughs> a, a month ago we, we're suddenly sort of saying no no, no how could that be a penalty and at least you know Jürgen Klopp was honest enough to suggest that yeah it, it wasn't a penalty then and, and, and this one shouldn't have been a penalty either I think you've, you've probably got to be consistent about it I don't want to 
like too much out of Bobby Madley's officiating. Um, but I want to talk a little bit about the Mason Holgate Roberto Firmino mm-hmm. incident. Um, we're not lip readers, and lip reader doesn't really lend itself to audio anyway. There's a, there's an investigation into what may have been said between Firmino and Holgate. Uh, certainly, is it Ali? Is it fair to say that it's alleged that Firmino may have racially abused him, or it, can we not even go that far? No, I think we can go that okay. far. That's, uh, I mean, it's we can't lip read what what no. Firmino said, or, or you know what we said, what he said in the in a split second where John Joe Kenny's head was was in front of him and, uh, during the um, during that TV footage. But we can lip read quite clearly what what Mason Holgate said, and, and that is the allegation that he has um, um, made subsequently, and and that is what the allegation the the FA are investigating, and and. Um, it's um, you know Liverpool's reaction on the night was I think the the correct one, which you know rather than rushing to judge one way or the other, just saying that they will cooperate fully with the um, with any inquiries and r- rather than rushing to judgment as um, as they and indeed other clubs have done in the past. I think the good news here, though, um, if there is good news, is that there were so many players around him. You know, leaving aside the the, the, the TV pictures, I mean, I'm thinking back to. Suarez and Evra, but this is different because there were so many people around that you would assume that people would have heard what was said so that, you know, you're not just, it's not just a question of employing dubious lip readers to read lips. It's a question of, you know, you, there's enough people that you can speak to, uh, enough witnesses on, on both teams who were, who were near the action, who, who will have an idea, right? Yes, I'm, I think you're probably right. The, but the person who was closest to it was the referee. He was standing in between the two players yeah. and he obviously didn't hear it. Uh, he had consulted with his uh, official on the side. But the referee was Bobby Madley. Yeah. Uh, so this is the same. This is what gets me. I'm going to leave this one second. We're obviously speculating here about, and there's no point in what may have been said. But I was just struck by one thing, right? What started this whole thing off, Mason Holgate shoves Roberto Firmino when he's basically... He was off the pitch. He's off the pitch, right? So one player shoves another player off the pitch. He shoves him with such force that he sends him flying into the stands. And did Madley just get flustered and forget to to show a card to Holgate regardless? I think that was the case because what Holgate did was inexcusable. There was the ball, as you said, was off the field. He was frustrated because first of all, the back pass he'd taken his touch and then Firmino had done well to get his body in the way. So it was frustration. He pushed him off the field and pushed him into the stand and I thought Bobby Madley actually did Firmino a favour because as Firmino was running back onto the field he was going to do something to to Holgate and Bobby Madley got in the way the only person that got cautioned was one of the physios for I think it was for Everton who actually got sent off which is a which is a strange thing when two players have almost had a fight Holgate should have been certainly been given a yellow card for his challenge so in the end he didn't handle it particularly well Two huge stories. I mean, Liverpool really, in in, in the past uh, 10 days, the real protagonist, I think, in, in the transfer window. I want to start with Virgil van Dijk. Um, Ollie, did this one's obviously been coming for, for, for a long time, but we had Matthew Upson writing for us uh, in the game at the time of the transfer, and I thought he was quite skeptical. And the more I read him, the more I found myself agreeing with him about, A, the fact that you know you're buying somebody for fifty percent more than the most expensive defender in history, uh, you're also buying somebody who's coming off a very serious injury. Uh, but most of all, he just from a technical aspect, he sort of questioned a little bit the fact that Van Dyke isn't 
exactly lightning quick. And the way Liverpool play, the center halves are going to be, a lot of the time, well up the pitch. I don't know. I, I certainly got the sense that he wasn't in love with the move at all. Is he right? He is certainly a massive improvement on what Liverpool have already got. Joel Matip, is Joel Matip top class? Is, is Lovren top class? Is either of them lightning quick? Um, you know, Liverpool's, Liverpool's approach is all about controlling the game, dominating the game, being good enough when they've got to possession to, to, to survive those moments when the, the opposition get the ball and, and, um, and invariably create chances. Um, so Van Dijk will make them better, undoubtedly. I, I think you could see more quality in him immediately than you than you normally see from Lovren and and from from Matip and from Clavin. Um Klopp said something earlier in the season about how you couldn't just improve this defence with a single player. Well I think he could improve it and I think he will improve it, but there will be teething problems. I'm sure he'll make mistakes because he's a player who takes risks in possession. And Liverpool still have, you know, questionable uh, and inexperienced fullbacks and they still have, you know, you still have a question about the, the quality of the player alongside him. You'd have a question about the, the goalkeeper. You would have a question about the, um, you know, the defensive nous of, of the midfielders in front of him. So it's not suddenly going to turn Liverpool into into a stingy, mean, solid, resilient defence. It's, it's going to improve the defence they've got. And I've no doubt of both parts of that equation. Im- immediate improvement, but not dramatic improvement. Ali, if you were Liverpool, would you have spent £75 million on Virgil van Dijk? I'll tell you, I, I would have gone for him for, for sort of £50 million in, in the summer when, when that seemed like the going rate for a, for a top-class Premier League central defender. But now the market is so ludicrous. £75 million plus they've got the Coutinho money. I, I don't know. I, I, I don't ever <laughs> like that. I don't ever like saying that, 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 that these deals make sense when it's 75 million pounds for a player or 90 million pounds for a player or, or whatever but it's it's it has become the going rate as ludicrous as it sounds and what would be far better would be if they could find somebody who was who was get van dyke before he goes to southampton you know even before he goes to celtic you know be smarter in the transfer market and get get players before they're at, at their absolute peak value you say it's the going rate, but it's obviously not the going rate if he cost 50% more than any other center back in the history of the game. And it's obviously not the going rate when he's in the top 10. I think every other player in, in the top 10, I mean, not only are none of them central defenders, I think every single one, except for Higuain, who's obviously center forward, was either younger than Van Dyke or, or cost less than Van Dyke. Mm. I mean, Stuart, you, you watched Van Dyke for a long mm. time. What I find really interesting about him is this is a player who normally players who go for that amount of money are household names from the time they're 18 or 19. This is a guy who I think was released when he was 17 or 18. He only won his first cap when I think he was like 24 or something. I think he was already at Celtic when he, if I'm not mistaken, when he won his first cap or, or, or was just before. This is somebody who, for whatever reason, the football community did not rate really at all certainly the dutch football community didn't rate him because they used a whole load of other centre-halves before they went for van dyke right. and even when they've been struggling van dyke hasn't always been the number one pick so is this something where he either improved markedly all of a sudden which i think is generally pretty unusual or is it something where collectively the entire football intelligentsia got it wrong 
Uh, no, I, I'm not a great fan of Virgin van Dijk in terms of uh, being a, a great player or, or even a top-class player. What he has got, he has got uh, an awe about him because he's big and he's strong and he's very good in the air. He's got decent pace and when he starts coming out with the ball, he looks quite commanding. The best defenders, and I'll go back to Carvalho, I'll go back to Cannavaro, players like that, Chiellini even, who read the game. They're always, their head's on the half turn, they're always looking at the next bit of danger, they are concentrating the whole time. Virgil van Dijk doesn't do that. That's why he's liable to make mistakes, particularly in a team that try and hold a high line. And when they give the ball away, I don't think he's set ready to start defending, defending the space in behind him. He's very much a physical player. And there's too many physical players playing football at the moment that don't read the game. They use their athleticism to get them out of trouble. And that's what Virgil van Dijk does. He uses his athleticism to impose himself on the opposition and get himself out of trouble without reading the game to start with. So I'm assuming if you were director of football of Liverpool... No. Okay. <laughs> he'll, he'll improve Liverpool, but not for £75 million, no. Yeah, I'm, I'm sort of with, uh, with Robbo on this, because you hadn't caught it. Now, Ollie, the other big move, obviously, Philippe Coutinho. Um, in fact, he's being presented uh, at the camp now, I think, as we speak. I, my opinion on this has, has changed uh, in the sense that I thought, well, wait a minute. If you're Liverpool, why sell him now? Because it really doesn't make doesn't make any sense. Because you know, you're, yeah, you'll get a premium for him, but you might get a premium for him in the summer if he goes and wins the World Cup with with Brazil, which is not that far fetched. But mostly, there's the downside risk of not qualifying for the Champions League this year. I mean, Liverpool are are, are fourth in the table, unless we forget they're I think what three points clear of, of Spurs in fifth. It didn't make any sense to me why you would why you would go and do that. My opinions changed a little bit. When I considered how much Coutinho wanted to leave, there, there's an incredible story I thought that he paid eleven and a half million pounds out of his own pocket to make this deal happen. When's the last time you've heard of a footballer doing that, Ollie? Uh, never, off the top of my head. But I'm I'm sure that these things are. You know, I'm sure he's not going to end up um, short. I, I, I'm sure it will be made up to him in other ways by Barcelona or, or whatever. It, it's unclear. I haven't um, shifted from your original viewpoint, which was that it's um, it's a deal that would have been better off being delayed till the summer. I mean, look at Liverpool are in a similar situation and have been in a similar situation with Cater, who, who they, they agreed a deal with last summer for you know to sign him from um, RB um, Leipzig, and Leipzig just said, right, deal done. You can have him at the end of the season. Now Liverpool are now trying to to, to bring it forward at a massive premium again, but. You know, well, why should Leipzig do that? Why should Liverpool roll over to, to let the deal happen now? Coutinho's desperation to make it happen is obvious and, and it's understandable because Barcelona are a fantastic club and, and, and it's natural that he would want to, to, to play there. But I do, you know, if Liverpool says, right, we'll do the deal now, you can go in the summer. Yeah. Would he really have? I mean, he might have it's, acted it's, up the whole of August. Liverpool but, tried to do that, didn't they? I mean, uh, uh, Paul Joyce, I think, uh, and others were reporting that Liverpool wanted to um, wanted to, to basically sell him now and then have Barcelona loan him back for the rest of the season. If you're Coutinho, you know, you would have had a chance. Yeah, you'll win a Liga title as a passenger, but um, you you know, you would have had a chance to compete in in the Champions League this season. Uh, and by doing it that way, by by actually being sold to Barcelona and being loaned back, you'd be a Barcelona player. So even if you get injured, it's not like, ha-ha, you have to go stay in Merseyside. You know, 
it seems strange to me that that the player wanted to go so badly that for all these reasons you go you put out and on top of that the 11 million pounds Coutinho's on good money but he hasn't been around that long and he hasn't been earning enormous money for that long this is a big part of his net worth that he's leaving behind in Liverpool. I, I, Stuart, would you have ever, you're going to tell me you did that when you moved to Coventry, like I paid 800 quid out of my own pocket, the equivalent to 11 million pounds today? No. No, I didn't no. quite do that. Uh, I, I sort of, not went on strike, I, uh, to, to get a loan move to Coventry, I was on a week-to-week contract at West Ham because I'd been injured for quite some while. And I looked at the rules and it said, and West Ham wouldn't let me go on loan. So I looked at the, the, the rules and you could, if you're on a week to week contract, you could give them seven days notice. So I gave West Ham seven days notice that I was going to, I was going to leave. That's because in that era, you're one of the minority and, fo- footballers yeah. who could actually read. And then they came to me, you said, you can't do that. And I said, well, I can, if, here's the, here's the laws. And they said, okay, you can go out on loan. And that's, I went out to Coventry on loan, but was still a West Ham player. And then when I came back, I got a free transfer and was able to negotiate my own fee to go to Coventry, which is all very nice. This is an enormous, again, an enormous, enormous amount of money. It's the third biggest transfer of all time. I'm counting Kylian Mbappe in there because, you know, that deal was, it's, it's, it's a formality. Um couldn't really say no to that. I mean, oh, Liverpool had to take the money eventually, you know, and and they're probably impatient because they want to go and get another player to to replace him. The player's impatient because he doesn't want to be at a club he doesn't want to be at anymore because Barcelona have come calling. I can see exactly why it's being done at this time. And from a coaching point of view, when you're a coach and you know one of your players wants to go and you're trying to keep him occupied and trying to make him happy and try and get him out on the field to perform in the end you spend all your time with a player that you know wants to leave and is going to go at the end of it so you might as well sell him now get the money and try and replace him as quickly as you can now this season as you know with your subscription to the times and the sunday times you can uh, watch every highlight and every goal from every game in the premier league champions league europa league and the fa cup as well and this is in addition to i'll be honest the part which excites me most which is uh the content some of the writing that that we provide with the likes of uh, of george culkin ollie k oh he's blushing now isn't he because i mentioned his name no i i think we have uh, i'm old school i'm new i like my newspapers even when they're online sure what was your favorite goal of the weekend in the FA Cup? And I suspect, given your love of Arsene Wenger's defensive structure, uh, especially on set pieces, you're going to mention Eric Lehigh's first one? No, no, no. Okay. no. I, it, it, uh, that was a disaster no from Arsenal's point okay. of view. But I'm going to go with Lehigh's second one because it was the great piece of technique because he's, he's having to run backwards to start with. He gets his body in line with it. It's a good first touch. He's got a lot of pressure coming on him and he has to hit straight through the ball. He can't come across it. It was the only technique he could use to get a shot in, and he did it brilliantly. And it and it meant so much for the crowd. It meant so much for Nottingham Forest, and it meant so much for the game as well. Because once Nottingham Forest took the lead, it became a great game. Now, Ollie, I know that in your youth you were a big wrestling fan. I just so I just wanted to share with you what somebody told me on Twitter, which is that Eric Lehigh is uh, 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 from the same place as Randy Macho Man Savage. Um, what's your goal of the weekend? I was torn between two, which was uh, Sergio Aguero's second goal um, against Burnley. But I'm going to go for Jesse Lingard's um, goal on Friday night. Another addition to his remarkable recent collection of goals. It was um, was just a beautiful, delicious finish. And and helped by that camera angle, you know, the way you saw it sort of swerve away and 
is it fade or, or draw? I'm not a golfer, but it, the, the way it sort of drifted away from the goalkeeper, it was beautifully struck. And um, yeah, another great goal from Lingard. I like Pogba's dance actors. By the way, uh, Jesse Lingard proving me wrong this season. I, I thought he was extremely don't ordinary. Most people, don't most people prove you wrong over a, a length of time? Well, if you, if you wait long <laughs> enough, it's like buses, right? This is why we have Stuart Robson here. Uh, don't worry, we'll make this uh, uh, mercifully short because we've got a lot of other stuff to, to talk about. Uh, we're not going to dwell on Arsene Wenger too much, but Stuart, this was this was a car crash. This is the first time that he's been knocked out in the third round of the FA Cup since he's been in England. And obviously he's been in England uh, for a long, long time, since the early days of the Tony Blair administration, I believe. I think it was Bruce Rioch that last lost in the third round of the FA Cup to Sheffield United. So, yes, it's a long time. Um, what was made worse was for him was that he put out uh, a second string side, uh, a side that have been playing in the Europa League, mostly. But the combination of Mertesacker and Holding at the back had no pace, no reading of the situation. And Nottingham Forest, give them credit, the manager, Gary Brazil, totally outthought. Arsene Wenger and Steve Bold, whoever's whoever was in charge of the tactics for the game, he outthought them. Let Arsenal have the ball at the back. When they play into midfield, we get really tight, try and win the ball back, and then counter-attack through Brereton, who was magnificent, whether he went into wide areas or whether he played in between the two centre-halves. I think it was, a, yes, you're right, car crash for Arsenal and Arsene Wenger, but brilliant from Nottingham Forest's point of view. I'm going to be mean to Ollie now. Um... Ollie, you're one of those proponents who blames big clubs for stockpiling talent and not giving kids a chance and, oh, if you just play them, they'll be good. How's your Willick, your, your Nelson, and your Maitland-Niles, who, by the way, it feels like he made his debut like 10 years ago, and he still is Maitland-Niles? No, I, don't, I, I think he's... I, I thought Maitland-Niles played all right. I, I think he's played all right for the last couple of months, and Willick and Iwobi and others, you know, I, I didn't think... I didn't think the young players were the problem. I, I, I would look at the um, the senior players, Mertesacker and Walcott, and um, you know it, that, that, that's El where. I, that, well, Elmeni, yeah, you see, I, I couldn't even remember who they had in midfield. That probably sums it up. I didn't have any real problem with the initial selection. On if, if you if you take the view that well, if things go wrong, you need quality and experience and your best players on the bench, and that's what Arsenal didn't have, and it, it's it's. Just just to put context to this, Ollie, and I'll get Mm. back to you. Uh, I will read to you the Arsenal bench. Now, Stuart, who's an Arsenal nerd, probably knows who all these guys are. Um, I'm only familiar with a couple of them. You had uh, uh, Macy, Callum Chambers, of course, for England International, so we all know him. Uh, Rain Adelaide, Da Silva, Osei Tutu, Nketiah. I I can understand, to to Ollie's point, your point was that if you're going to play the kids, fine, but then have some big guns on the bench to help sort it out, Mm. right, if things go wrong. Or the other way around. You know, or the other way around, yeah. Play senior players and and then have the kids. Well, just have a mix of players on the bench. I mean, what, in what, I can't work out how that can ever have been the ideal bench for any contingency plan or any scenario in which Arsenal might have found themselves yesterday. You could have had a, a situation that they did have, which was where they um, where they needed quality and experience off the bench, and that, or you could have had a situation where where the ideal thing happens and, and they've got. Um, and they've got an opportunity to, to blood more more young players because they're cruising, which clearly is what Wenger and, and Bold and, and whoever else concluded would probably be the case. And I, I, I thought the bench was was 
inexplicable, illogical, um, and and I, I could understand the lineup, but not the bench. I, I feel like we've gone over this for so long, but we need to mention it because the, this this sort of photograph, which we run it on page three of the game, um, I tweeted it out last night. Of uh, of Lehigh's first goal, I'm going to try to describe it, but basically the the it's a free kick all the way from uh, from the right. It's, it's almost it's an obvious cross, so you put a two man wall, which is entirely normal. You have a line of of attackers and defenders, uh, sort of at the edge of the six yard box, and then you have Eric Lehigh, who who went to university. Maybe that's why he he worked it out. He's like, hey, look. I can't actually be offside because these two guys that Wenger put on the wall, uh, or that Ospina put in the wall, are are standing like basically a, a, a foot from the goal line. So I'm going to go and stand by myself in front of Ospina. Um, I mean, it's it, it's just beyond shocking. And you have a World Cup winning centre back sticking his arm up for offside. Well, <laughs> he he's hold, he's trying to hold a line and then sticking his arm up for offside. How does this happen? I mean, this is what I, this is what I don't understand. I mean, obviously it's. It's, it's an embarrassing screw-up. But there's also 11 players on the pitch. And other than the two guys on the wall, I don't understand. Ospina, the, the centre-back, oh, whoever's, at, whoever's at the far post, they can look across the line, they can yeah. see, hey, this isn't working. These are professionals who do this for a living. It's, it's, not, it's not like this is the first free kick they've ever seen. How does this happen? Where the free kick was given, you have to defend that like a corner. So, because it's it's coming from the same sort of area, so you have, and as you said, it can't be offside because the wall is almost a foot from the byline. So then you have to pick up and and defend as you would a corner. You could even have people on the post. Is this a case of just players not? I mean, I, if, if 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 I'm Wenger, mm-hmm. I I would. I mean, I, I, we can we can blame Wenger for this. The poor guy was in the stands. Presumably, this is not what he teaches them to do. In, in training. I, I don't think they do enough work on the set play. So they, they, they just went out there and, and somebody said, oh, let's hold a line. Ospina may have even said, get out my way. I don't want anybody coming into my area. Yeah, so but once he sees an attacking player come there. I know. I, you can't explain it. You cannot explain how bad that was, either oh, from the coaching department or from the players on the field or from the goalkeeper. And even when the ball did come in, the goalkeeper wasn't, it didn't really attack the ball. He allowed Lehigh to get across the front of him. It's it's wrong in every department. Ollie, is this the single ugliest thing you've seen in 2018? <laughs> uh, yeah, might, might, might be getting there. Um, I wish I had a wittier answer, but no, it was it was um, it was just a horrible goal. And, and you know, when, when you talk about oh, is this something that Wenger neglects or, or, or whatever, or is this the way they do it at, at Arsenal? I think it's just symptomatic of a malaise, a lack of sharp thinking, a lack of leadership, a lack of organisation. Um, and those are the things that, that, that have been levelled at Arsenal over over several years. And it's, it's you know, the, the club captain was there, you know, their, their World Cup winning club captain, Mertesacker, who, you know, he, he's not, he's played a lot more football this season than, than last, but you know, has he ever been that, that leader, that, that organiser, that sort of general at the heart of the defence that Arsenal have, have needed? Is, you know, do Arsenal have enough of that? Could you imagine um, any of the other top six teams, maybe Liverpool, um, conceding a goal like that? But it, it, you know, you could not imagine um, this Manchester United team, this Chelsea team, this Manchester City team, this Tottenham team conceding a goal like that. It, it's just, it was just ridiculous. Regular listeners know this. I don't follow lower league football at all in England, so I have no opinion on this. I can't have nothing interesting to say about Forrest, but 
what I do know is obviously they they changed uh, their manager mm-hmm. recently and uh, Warburton went a couple of weeks ago. Warbs, um, former uh, former Rangers and Brentford manager. I know a little bit. Yeah. Um, well done. Thank you. And uh, and obviously their <coughs> their owner is the I think rather controversial is uh, is an appropriate word. Uh, uh, Evangelos uh, Marinakis, uh, who also owns Olympiacos. Go ahead and Google him uh, when you get some time. Um, do you want to tell me something? How are they fixed? Good? Bad? What, are the, uh, what can they hope for? Well, they, they had a lot of young players playing yesterday. Apparently their academy's good. Gary Brazil, who was the manager, or the caretaker manager, runs the academy. But you've got to remember, they're 14th, I think, in the championship. They've had a very poor season. Transition year. Or were they hoping to get promoted? Uh, uh, I think they were hoping to get promoted. Oh. Uh, the only thing that uh, surprised me is that their crowds have gone up. So the, the fan base is better because they've seen that quite a lot of their kids have uh, got talent and people always like when they have homegrown players in the team but why haven't these players been doing a lot better and it's, it's easy to play a one-off cup game and play above yourselves I've seen it many many times I mean I, I played for Arsenal against York when we lost to York and that an 18 year old centre forward had a magnificent game I think he played another 20 games for York at the lowest level and never played again so you can have great performances from young men they can pick themselves up for one game a cup game against the top side in front of a, a live TV audience in front of a, a big crowd but then never really fulfil that potential Ollie obviously uh, I know people who know from all over the world if you're of a certain age you know that Nottingham Forest won two European Cups and stopped the unstoppable Liverpool side in the late 70s and all this stuff um how do you see them as a club? I mean, is there dimension to be a Premier League club or to be a yo-yo club? And, and how do you see the situation? It's interesting. I mean, I, I grew up and Forest were you know, a fixture in the, in, in the top flight at, at that time. They just, you know, just won the European Cup twice and, and, and were regarded as a big club. But, you know, there are several other clubs that you'd say the same of in the, in the championship. Football's actually changed so much and being being off that gravy train for the last um, 14 years in Leeds case and 19 years in, in Forest's case you've missed out on a, a lot of potential growth over that period and the suggestion is that, that they'll go for uh, Paul Heckingbottom from, from Barnsley who's um, renowned as a very good up and coming young coach and, and um, you know uh, I hope Forrest gets it right. I, mean, I was I was a reporter on the Lotto Evening Post when when Forrest were last in the Premier League, ninety eight, ninety nine, and and they, that that was one of the worst Premier League teams I've I've seen. It, you know they were they were horrific. But if you'd said to me then that Forrest wouldn't be back within twenty years, I'd have been rather surprised. Voiceover describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. Voiceover on settings, so you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? 
Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Love the game? Then don't miss The Game Daily. It's your lunchtime update from football's finest writers, and it's only at thetimes.co.uk. So in our debate this week, we go from um, one of uh, Ollie Kay's former stomping grounds, Nottingham, to another of his former stomping grounds, uh, Stoke. Because I'm right that you you covered Stoke as well, right? I didn't cover Stoke, but... Uh, but you no, lived in Stoke. No, no, no. no I, I, you got I nothing Stoke. to do with Stoke. No, no, I, I, I worked I worked briefly at the Zentral um, in Stoke. So although your your knowledge of the basics of my career is, is, is terrifying, the, um, you, you're, you're missing some of the finer details. Well, okay, thank you. Uh, but maybe, I, obviously, you're very familiar with uh, with Sparky, Mark Hughes, who's, uh, mm. who's been let go. I kind of feel like this is one of those things that people perhaps saw coming and it was sort of presented as like the Coates family are so patient. Is it a case that however patient you are, when a guy's been there a long time, once you get within touching distance of, of relegation, people start freaking out and worrying and say, all right, this is not going to work? I think everybody who, who has watched Stoke closely over the last 18 months or so would say this isn't, you know, this isn't just somebody who's had about four or five weeks. It, it, you know, the, the malaise, the, 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 the struggle dates back to, to the second half of last season and, and, and having started so well at, at Stoke, Hughes you know, had been struggling really for, for 18 months. Stoke are, I would say, the most sensible, stable Premier League club. And I, and I know, you know that might not be saying much these days, but, it, but, but they, are, they are very sensible. And their sensible decision, as they saw it in the summer, was let's, let's not get carried away by the, 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 the second half of the season. Let's, let's give him another season. He's doing fine. Um, and they remained level-headed and, and kept, kept thinking, well, we'll you know, we, we trust Mark Hughes to sort of, uh, we trust Mark Hughes to sort of that. That's been the case even the last couple of months as fan um, discontent has, has grown, but it's, it's, I think it became completely unavoidable over the last, um, over the last month or so. It, it was clear that it had unraveled completely really for, for, for Hughes there. And, you know, he didn't have the answers tactically he didn't he didn't um he couldn't lift the dressing room because they you know it seemed to be going one way and he hadn't bought well the last two or three transfer windows and and it, you know it's just come to a natural end because the the goats family whatever their belief in stability i think we're starting to panic and are you know probably right to be panicking because because they're in serious danger of going down there but is it odd that the catalyst for for this would be losing to sisu in the uh in the fa cup third round I think it was the the, the final straw. I think they were close. They've been close to that decision for a while, and they've been looking for a result that would suggest that there's that there's you know the, the capacity to turn it around, that they can be reinvigorated. But I think the the nature of that performance, as well as the result and and the the atmosphere around it, I think it all was just the you know, the, the final confirmation that it was it was broken and, and Hughes couldn't fix it. If you look at 
Stoke over the last 18 months, you're not quite sure exactly what Mark Hughes' style of football was anymore. When he first went in there, he tried to change it from a Tony Pulis long ball, very defensive-minded game to have more creative players be more inventive with their style of play, although I, I don't think it was quite as inventive as people were trying to make out. Yeah, but at least he had skillful players. He had skillful players, yeah. yeah. And, he, he, and he was playing them regularly, so those skillful players felt more at home under Mark Hughes than they did under Tony Pulis. But over the last 18 months, they looked disorganised. They looked as though they've lacked spirit at times. They've looked as though they've lacked any cohesion. And the game that really summed it up for me was the game against Chelsea when he changed half the side they almost gave the game up after about 20 minutes when they were 2 or 3 nil down the players didn't have any appetite for the game he's bought poorly Berahino you know what that was a bad sign Imbula who they bought for a lot of money Vimmer who failed at Tottenham was never going to be a success Zuma hasn't really played that well for Stoke since he's been Bruno Martins Indy Martins Indy who was a who was a massive reason why the Dutch didn't qualify for the for the not the World Cup the European Championships I think it was inevitable he was going to get the sack. His best days, I thought, were when he was managing the Welsh side and when he was managing Blackburn. I don't think he did a fantastic job at Stoke in those first couple of years. He, he changed the style, but he kept them where they were, really. And he's gradually got worse and worse, and it was the right time for him to go. Ollie, the names linked are Gary Rowett, and uh, I also saw Martin O'Neill. I, I would imagine that that's not going to happen. But I think it was your tweet today, you made the point that if you're Rowett, you're second right now in the championship at Derby County. Maybe you'd be better off staying and getting to the Premier League that way. Although then you did point out that Stoke are likely to have a lot more patience than, than Derby will. You, you, presumably you stand by that since you tweeted it about an hour ago. Yeah, I, I haven't. Uh, haven't the, the many responses haven't prompted <laughs> me to um, to change my view. No, it, it's, it's a. I mean, if if he's the what you know, if, if Stoke make an approach for him, and and I'm, I'm sure Derby would fight fight very hard to to keep him it's, it would be a real dilemma for out because you, know, you you've you've got the the possibility of, of of leading derby to promotion you've got the possibility that derby could end up missing out on promotion which is which is perfectly feasible in in that sort of crazy division you've got the possibility of, of stoke either returning to being a stable reasonably progressive mid-table premier league team or, or they could or they could go down and be a you know and be in severe problems next season. Molly, just... you've just you've just said it there. Stoke mm. is a more stable club. They are as, mm. a, as sensible as you can possibly be. From all reports from Derby is that they have an owner or a, or a chap called Mel Morris who mm. he wants to have a big say in team selection. <laughs> he, has to, he he calls the managers back in when they lose and when they're on the way back home from from games and they have to go around his house and watch the video. I'm not sure it's a great job to be in the, the Derby job, even though he's doing well at the moment, Gary Rout. Yeah, yeah, I, I, that, that has got to be a that has got to be a, a consideration, unless unless Mel Morris has, has sort of learned his lessons and, and become more hands off and, and realised that, that he's got a manager there who knows an awful lot more about football than he does. Then you could understand Rout looking at it and thinking, well, you know, maybe this isn't a, maybe this isn't um, the ideal club after all. But you know. They are second in the championship. Stoke are, are in the relegation zone of the, of the Premier League. It, it's it's not it's not it's not an easy one. But managers have have got to kind of strike while the iron's hot. Sometimes it's just a case really of whether his career would be better served by by staying put, which it may be, than um, than taking the obvious sort of jump up the ladder to to towards the bottom of the Premier League. I wasn't quite sure whether we should talk about this next our next mini debate topic, but. Um... 
I, I kind of feel that it's it's just it's gone so far. I, I, I saw you know hey our colleague Henry Winter yesterday on um, on, on Sunday Supplement didn't really want to be talking about. It. He says can we just get back to the football and Conte and Mourinho and this spat. I don't want to go through who's right, who's wrong because I can imagine you're both going to say something like they're both as bad as each other, and I'm not going to disagree with you. Until recently, we in Italy and in Spain, we looked to to England and said, oh, look, you know, this is so wonderful. When I remember the Italian job with Gianluca Vialli, and we, 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 we spoke to Sir Alex and Mourinho and Lippi and Capello and Eriks and so on. Very, uh, good, and very good book, by Thank the you, way. thank you. Excellent uh, Some time back. You know, there was a sense that in, in Spain and in Italy and in France as well, uh, we dwell on refereeing decisions for, for, for a long time. There's this poisonous atmosphere. People are constantly having jibes at each other, the, the, the managers. It's all very heavy and nasty. And that in England, you're all fabulous sportsmen. Now, this is mostly Luca's view, I think. Um, and to be fair, you edit stuff like Pizzagate and Mind Games and, um, and, and Kevin Keegan's meltdown before that. But I do think that now the worm is kind of turned because we don't have all this nastiness and controversy in certainly in Italy this season or indeed in in, in La Liga. Um, but here in England, between these two, Conte Mourinho and Arsene Wenger, who, you know, last year gets a four-match ban for shoving a referee, this year gets a three-match ban for bursting into the guy's uh, dressing room and, and threatening and abusing him. Ollie, this is nastier than it's been in a long, long time. Am I wrong here? Have the tables turned? Have you become like us? Um, yeah, probably. But it, it, it's it, everything you were just saying then just reminded me of the the, the whole thing that, that Sean Dyche was talking about in that interview with me a, a few weeks ago. Where he said it's, it's just becoming like a sport panto almost. Yeah, it's it's, it's I don't know. It's it, it's, it's if you speak to him again, tell him that Gab Marcotti thinks that he's correct on that point. Yeah, no, no it's no, different. He, it's different than what it was he, before. He is, he is new on, and, and you know, we we in the media, I, you know, obviously we in the media drum this up and hype it up, and but then again, you, you look at Conte and Mourinho in these cases. Do, do, do Conte and Mourinho seem like people who have who have had to be dragged into this um, this battle and, and and been coerced into saying things they didn't want to say. I think you know when when Mourinho says, "Oh well, I wasn't talking about him. I was talking about about, about myself in my early days." I think Mourinho has since shown that, that before and since that he's capable of delivering some pretty low blows. And Conte the same. It's it's just it's as if they become just wrapped up in this idea that that, that it's it's. A, a soap opera and, and they need to take personal digs at each other and why do they, while they're doing that while they're doing that you know Guardiola who, who just doesn't get involved in that at all to his credit and, and Pochettino who doesn't and Klopp who hasn't got involved too much but but you know Guardiola's 15 points clearly must, he must, must just be laughing at, at the pair of them if indeed he takes any notice at all uh, I don't understand why because I, I really love Conte as a as a coach and a, a manager. Why managers have to fall for Mourinho's tricks and why you have to answer them back? Mourinho wants that to happen. Why do why do managers fall for it? I made the point before last season when Conte was on his best behaviour, not complaining about signings, referee, blah blah blah. This was kind of new for Conte. Mm. You you never you know he he is somebody who's been who's been spiky and and who if he gets it you know he's not going to be pushed around or, or or intimidated. He didn't appreciate the lecture that Mourinho gave him last year when uh, when when United lost at Stamford Bridge. Um, 
and this is just kind of the way he is. And and with Mourinho, you know, even the point when Mourinho's like, oh, I was talking about my, my uh, uh, about myself and you in the media, you guys turned it around. I'm sorry, you're describing behavior that two other Premier League managers engage in, and you describe that be- and behavior that you used to engage in, and you describe that as clown behavior. That implies that you're saying people who do this are clowns. It's a little bit like uh, like like me saying like, oh, you know. I used to have a shaven head, but I look like an absolute freaking idiot. Um, so now I don't look like an idiot anymore because my head's not shaved. And then Stuart gets angry at me. You probably don't <laughs> shave your head. I do. Um, oh, you do? Okay. Um, and I say, oh, well, Stuart, but I was talking about myself, right? No, because you've said that if you yeah. jump around on the sidelines, you're, you, you're behaving like a clown, regardless if it was about you or whatever. So <laughs> I... I kind of despair over this. And then the other guy who keeps, who, 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 who senile dementia, I, that's really offensive. Mm. That's just, really uh, offensive. And, and people are like, oh, he meant amnesia. I'm sorry, but he's speaking, he was speaking in his own native language, in Italian. I would assume Conte may not have gone to, uh, have a fancy university education, but I, I'm assuming in his own language, he knows the difference between senile dementia and, and, and amnesia. Well, the problem with football in gen- and managers and coaches, there's l- very, very little information being given to the players out in the field. Managers seem to, their whole f- uh, being on the side of the field is to wind up the opposition, to get at the fourth official, to get at the uh, assistant referee, to have a go at the referee. And that's one of the things that is wrong with football. I, I would agree with that. And the point is, I mean, I, I remember Rafa Benitez coming to Liverpool and he didn't, he wanted absolutely no part of any of that business. No, no part of, you know, blaming referees, no, no part of, of getting involved in, with things with, with other managers. And so it who just seems who like makes them do it in the end? Who this. makes them do it in the end? I, I, I think, you know, the whole Premier League product, the whole kind of pantomime, as Sean Dyche called it, of which we in the media are part, I think it just, distorts the heads and, the, and, and, and they, you know, they get sucked into these sort of ego trips where if anybody has a go at them, they, 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 they feel like they have to sort of fight fire with fire or fight fire with, I don't know, some kind of hand grenade or, or whatever. But it's, it's Guardiola, as I said, has, has stayed out of it and, and has risen above it at times. And Pochettino seems um, impressively... Um, Immune to it, although perhaps as, you know, as, as manager of, of of nice little Tottenham, he, you know he's he's um, he's not been subjected to too many of the barbs that, that, that others have been. But I I just think other managers just get that their egos get wrapped up in 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 this pantomime. Whether it impacts on their work and stops them doing anything they they would otherwise do, I don't know. But it, but it certainly doesn't do them any favours. I would say a lot of managers now are trying to manage through the press rather than managing their own players. And Mourinho is definitely the worst at it these days. When he came to Chelsea the first time, yes, he went through the press, but he was a brilliant coach that got Chelsea playing exactly how he wanted them to play. Now he's trying to manage the team through the press. Oli, you're going to give me some hope? and Because obviously it comes down to the manager's personality as well. I, I, I mean, you mentioned Benitez there. I remember, uh, and you may remember this better than me, um, maybe like 10 years ago, Liverpool played, uh, uh, were playing Bolton, who were managed by Sam Allardyce at the time. And I think Xabi Alonso or somebody scored on a free kick and Benitez made some kind of gesture, like sort of like, that's it. And then both Allardyce and his mate, Sir Alex Ferguson, later when came out and talked about how offensive uh, it was, what, what Rafa Benitez did and so on. And it, it felt as if they were ganging up on him. And I've people tell me that part of the reason that 
we see this behavior today is that, you know, the sheriff has retired. In other words, when Sir Alex was here, sometimes he'd engage in some of this in his own way uh, and the mind games and whatever. But most of the time he made sure people stayed in line and Mourinho didn't dare ever mess with him. So you didn't have this sort of climate and Wenger was younger and perhaps a little bit, you know, less wound up than he was today. Do you buy that? You know, certainly a different feel among among the managers. Where, as as I think somebody wrote, somebody wrote in today's paper, was it was it, was it Tony Cascarino, um about how you know Fergie had that had you know a number of people who were almost on Team Fergie as as it was then, whether it was against Wenger or against Benitez or, or whoever. And those kind of alliances don't really exist anymore. I, th- I think in the case of um, Mourinho and Conte, it's while their teams are left flailing behind in the title race, it's almost like. Um, Two men, two ball men fighting over a and that is not a relation, uh, not a reference <laughs> to anybody's. Um, um, He's not taking some shades today. Yeah. Oh, it, 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 no, 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 no. It, it's not a difference to. It's not a reference to um, fat fixing. <laughs> you go. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Now for this, how about some quick hits instead? Chelsea draw nil-nil at Norwich, uh, which means Antonio Conte will be even grumpier with the prospect of a replay. But never mind that. Ollie, what do you make of the Barkley move? And um, why was the mayor of Liverpool, one Joe Anderson, I believe, so incensed? Well, because he's an Everton fan, and, he, and, and he, he was he was angry that Everton have only got fifteen million pounds for, for one of the best products to come from a youth academy, and how it's it's. You know that's generally money that you pay for a championship striker these days, and it's it's um, you know Everton have have lost out badly because because you know his contract had run down to the final months, and it's it's frustrating for them because you know they've not even seen him on the pitch this season. I think he's look he he is um, not a perfect player. He's got certain rough edges to his game. He can either sink or swim at Chelsea, but but he is a player who will be a a big loss to Everton. I think they've even missed him this season, despite all those various number tens they've had. I think I think he would have done a better job than than any of them this season. AFC Wimbledon made things rather uncomfortable for Spurs for more than an hour before Harry Kane broke uh, the deadlock uh, and uh, sent them on to a three 0 win. Stuart, no reason to worry, is there? Not as long as the hurricane is fit. Uh, Harry Kane obviously is the star player for for Spurs, but teams have come to Wembley, sat deep, frustrated Tottenham, and they haven't played with the same sort of pace and verve that they were playing with at, at White Hart Lane. I think the pitch is not cut quite so short, so the, the passing isn't quite as slick. They've just lost that little bit of pace in their attacks, but Spurs are still a very good side, so I can't see any problems for them. There you go. Manchester City rolled to a 4-1 victory over Burnley. But what struck me, other than that fantastic Aguero goal, um, Oli was hearing a, a reserve left back, Alexander Zinchenko, saying that they think about doing the quadruple every day. Um, and that's the sort of talk that Guardiola calls unrealistic in January. I want to ask you who's right, but also, like me, do you share my view that it's actually kind of neat that this kid, Zinchenko, and presumably other City players just pose absolutely no limits to what they can achieve and they want to win everything yeah I, I don't i don't imagine it saying yeah we're going to win the quadruple or it's, it's quadruple or bust or anything like that it's about it's about trying to win every game and win every competition and that's healthy i don't i don't think when managers talk about trying to win the lot and it and it and it becomes a big thing in the media you know the, the, the treble bid the quadruple bid etc i don't think that's healthy but it's but if they talk about it privately amongst themselves and trying to win everything that's fair enough 
English football will have its first taste of video assistant refereeing tonight in the FA Cup as Brighton host Crystal Palace. Stuart, you've seen it work up close in uh, MLS and Serie A and uh, the Bundesliga and elsewhere. What's your take? Are, 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 are your peeps ready for the VAR revolution? Uh, I, I've done a lot of MLS games and they've got it absolutely right. They work very closely with the uh, TV companies. We know exactly what's going on and most of the right decisions are made. But there is, it's still going to be open to debate. If we were talking about was Lalana brought down by Holgate and it went to VAR, several different people will have a different view on that. So you're not going to get everything right, but I think it will work over a period of time. I think the single biggest hurdle is people not understanding how it actually uh, operates and works. Everybody's got these explainers out there. I think we have a particularly good one, although I may be biased here, uh, in the game this Monday as well. And in that great example you you cited with Lalana, what would happen is that the VAR would say to Bobby Madley, hey, Bobs, we think you might have made a clear error. Why don't you take a look at it? And then he could take a look at it. He thinks, oh, look, I made a clear error. And then he overturns it. Uh, or they would look at it and say, eh, we're not sure we got it right, but not enough for clear error, in which case it would be called what they call a, a silent check and it wouldn't be overturned. I hope people understand this before they start moaning uh, about you know what gets called, what doesn't called, and saying VAR is all rubbish. It can only be called for certain situations. Exactly. It's, it's, there's only four th- things it can be called for. Yeah, it's it, you know what? It, it strikes me as like if somebody comes stealing your house, um, so somebody, somebody goes and, 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 and robs the artwork in, uh, in Ollie Kay's uh, conservatory, despite the CCTV system he has in place, it would be the equivalent of Ollie saying, oh, CCTV is rubbish, rather than saying, oh, look, how did this bad guy get into my house and uh, rob the family silverware? It wouldn't be a very good idea to have artwork in the um, in the conservatory because it might fade from the sunlight. That's much my um, view as somebody who doesn't collect art. But I, I was referring to the sculpture garden you have at the end of the oh, conservatory. Oh, uh, I didn't mean to, but I sort of feel like I gave the FA Cup short shrift today. Fortunately, in the game this week, we have uh, uh, a pretty neat spread with 20 FA Cup tales that uh, you may have missed, which I thought was actually one of the more uh, entertaining reads this Monday. Um, do you want to give me something that stuck out for you that we haven't talked about on the show? Well, the, the, the big, um, the, the real sort of giant killings, you know, were perhaps overlooked in the case of Coventry beating Stoke, because probably a lot of people expected it, and probably because of the fallout at Stoke end, but, but from, from Coventry's point of view, as a club that has gone through hell over the last decade i think that was um that was a a really good win and a, a nice story and, and newport newport county beating leeds you know, coming from behind to, to beat leeds i think that was a that was a great result and a, and a great story too and and you know look at the you know various draws for clubs like mansfield against cardiff for shrewsbury against west ham and and wigan against bournemouth for fleetwood against leicester you know there are still the possibility of um of, of, of shocks in the replay. So it, it, I thought it was quite an interesting um, third round weekend. There you go. Uh, now, since our last show, Swansea have a new manager as well. Now, it's happened so long ago, we're not going to have too much time to it, but Carlos Carvajal has uh, replaced Paul Clement, or Paul Clement, as we called him when he was doing well. Uh, Robbo, what's your verdict? Uh, I was always surprised that Paul Clement got the jobs he did at Derby and at Swansea. He did okay at the end of last season. I think he got the jobs on the back of uh, your mate, uh, the uh, the Italian manager that did so well all over the all over the world. I think he was a, a decent coach, but never looked happy in the manager's job. So I think it was right that he was replaced. Whether Carvajal can do any better, 
We'll wait and see. Do you remember anything Carvajal did really well last season and then less well this year at Sheffield That was Wednesday? the case. Uh, he, got to, he did quite well for a couple of years at Sheffield Wednesday, I think, and got them into the playoffs, and then they didn't fulfil their potential in the playoffs. And this season, it didn't go well for him. He got the sack, and it wasn't long before he was back in a job at Swansea. And one for you, Gab. Diego Costa made his La Liga debut for Atletico Madrid. How did he get on? He got on uh, uh, in a very, very uh, Diego Costa manner because he'd actually uh, he'd made his, his club debut before in the in the Copa del Rey in, in midweek and scored uh, as you do this time. Uh, he started. He uh, he got a yellow card for no. a wayward elbow, no. and then he scored uh, a really, really good goal. And then uh, he decided that he was going to go and uh, and celebrate by jumping into the crowd which is frowned upon because that got him a second yellow and uh, and he was sent off. Uh, but I think, more realistically, I think this is a huge boost to Atletico Madrid. Um, obviously, the transfer ban in the summer, but between Diego Costa and uh, and, and Vitolo, who's, uh, who's also coming mm-hmm. in, Spanish international, very direct player, I think they've really kicked it up another, uh, they've really kicked it up another notch. And I'll tell you what, were they still, if they were still in the Champions League, mm-hmm. um, which they're not, which they're obviously not, um, I would have had them as a, as dark horses at this stage. Right, that's all we've got time for today. Many, many, many thanks to my excellent guests, uh, Ollie Kay, and in the studio, Stuart Robson. Now, you're probably used to me saying uh, um, that it's uh, just eight pounds for an eight-week trial. Well, we've gone even better we have a special winter offer, of course, named uh, uh, for our chief football writer, Henry Winter. It's just three pounds for a three-month trial. I make that three pounds for three months is what? 12 weeks? 13 weeks if you're very lucky? Uh, to me, that's a tremendous offer. So give it a go. Just search the Times online and you get access to all our content. Not just our content, but the Sunday Times as well. How about a bit of Johnny Northcroft for you and maybe some Duncan Castles on the side. Uh, We're going to be back on Monday as we turn our attention back to the Premier League with what could be a goal fest at Anfield. It's Liverpool versus Manchester City. The game is brought to you by The Times. For more information and more podcasts from The Times, head to thetimes.co.uk. The train is now approaching. Junction at platform. Passengers, airport, please stay on board. Next stop, road station. iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone.